for this age group, they are really starting to assert their independence and they want to be involved. Allow them to be involved, but start that conversation from an early stage about risks and about safety. Hey, Kirsten Dipros here with you on Ducks on the Pond. This is our second episode in our mini-series about how to keep your child safe on farm without wrapping them up in cotton wool. This series is being made in collaboration with Peds Education. If you haven't heard the first one, I recommend going back and listening to it first. Now, in this episode, we're focusing on school-aged children, so kids between the ages of 5 and 14. We'll understand what the common risks for that age bracket are, as well as discuss whether or not you should drive your kids into hospital or wait for an ambulance if something should happen. And how to balance different risk appetites. Basically, when your husband thinks it's totally fine for your kid to do something on the farm and you don't. I've always been a bit cautious because I see people at their worst and my husband's the opposite, being a country fellow. And he's, no, no, she'll be right, she'll be right. But sometimes now I just actually really put my foot down and go, look, sorry, but we are going to put that piece of safety equipment on. That's Gemma Kramer. She's a paramedic by trade, but in this episode tells the story of how her seven-year-old son was injured in a rather unexpected farm accident in Nil, Victoria. Fortunately, he's all right now, but it's been a tough journey for them. I'm pleased to say Sarah Duncanson and Grace Larson are back with us. They are the directors of PEDS and they're intensive care paediatric nurses, and importantly, rural mums as well. So buckle up, check out my safety metaphor for another very honest conversation, because no one's perfect. To start, I asked Sarah to describe this age group in terms of safety awareness, and then we'll hear from Grace. Now we have hit an age where they do have some sort of awareness of what risk entails, but they are also really curious about what their bodies are able to manage. They are learning to explore. They're becoming quite impulsive. They're really curious about things that are going on in the farm life. However, with this increasing independence, they still have inexperience and they still do not have the cognitive capacity to think complex risk-taking behaviours and what that entails. They can also be quite influenced by peers, whether that's older siblings, whether that's friends, whether that's cousins and family members who might be doing things. So in this age group, what we see a lot of and what we have seen a lot of in recent times is falls, major falls around farming properties. And this is actually reflected across this age group, across Australia, whether it's regional, rural or remote. But the problem we see in the rural and remote regions is that there are more inherent risks associated with falls. Children love to climb and our country kids love to climb, whether it's trees, roofs, barns, silos. But there's also ways that children can fall that don't involve being from on top of a roof. And that is falling when kicked by an animal or when falling off an animal. It can also be falling when they trip on uneven surfaces. I mentioned before trees. And we don't want to stop children from climbing and learning what their bodies can do, but we just have to be really aware that there are a few more inherent risks that come with living on rural properties where children can fall over. The other thing we have to consider again is the time it takes for emergency responses to get to us in rural properties. So, so therefore, you know, our outcomes are different for rural children than metropolitan children, considering those sort of response times as well. Just on that, is it better to 
drive your kids to the hospital? And I know that that's a really hard question to answer, but what are the things you should think about? Like in Victoria right now, ambulance times are through the roof. I personally would be thinking about driving them if it was like, you know, they'd broken their leg or something like that. But are there other scenarios where perhaps you should wait for help? Well, I actually think it's a question that we need to ask. Like, as you say, ambulance response times are blowing out. We don't have the same level of support in healthcare that we used to. Even wait times in emergency departments are blowing out. So I think it's a question that people should be considering and they should be asking. So it really depends on the type of injury that's been sustained or the type of illness that's occurred. You know, sort of multi-trauma situations or snake bite, things like that. Ideally, you don't want to move those children. You don't want to move those casualties. So getting help to come to you is much better. And often when you explain what's happened to emergency services, they will triage you as soon as possible. However, if it's something, you know, perhaps the child has sustained a head injury, there's been some loss of consciousness, but they've recovered and you're just a little bit worried about them, you know you need to take them to the emergency department, you could rationalise a drive-in to the emergency department as long as you have somebody who can sit in the back seat with that child and keep tabs on them. Because if they slump over and become unconscious in the back seat while you're driving there, you know, and you don't know about it, then, you know, that's where the real danger exists when we decide to make a call to drive our children into hospital. Like I've had those conversations with my husband. We know it's 45 minutes probably for an ambulance to get to where we are. So what are we going to be driving 15 minutes to our local urgent care for versus what are we going to be calling an ambulance for? Also, another thing, another little tip is where is your closest defibrillator? Because, you know, I have my father who's in his 70s who comes out and helps me in our orchard. And I know that he's in that age group, and I know we're talking about children, but just to segue, this is, you know, something to consider. If he was to have a cardiac arrest, I know that it will be 10-minute drive for me to go and grab a round trip to grab the defibrillator from the CFA, and that's probably going to be quicker than me waiting for the ambulance to bring it to us. So if I've got an extra person, and these are all just different things that, like, we've considered and spoken about so that if... Hopefully this never happens, but, you know, if it were to happen, like I've already got in my mind the way that I'll approach it. Yeah, and I think a lot of community organisations have defib, so it's worth looking into finding out where some would be, like our local community hall, we recently got one. And if you're involved in a community organisation, you can often get grants, like we did. We got one from St John of God, which covered half the price. Yeah, I think just sort of getting us back to to some of the the common injuries, what's the most common one for, for children? So, you know, above that toddler age. So we've spoken about falls. Drowning is still a huge risk across all age groups under 14 years of age on farming properties, on rural properties. Poisoning, again, is another one. And motor vehicle accidents, whether that's in farm machinery, on utes or in cars. Yeah, just on the farm machinery and vehicles like, you know, quad bikes and also whether it's just riding in the cabin, in a tractor or a header or something. There's been a bit of a shift, I think, in the culture of this. Before it used to be, oh, yep, that's fine. But now it's, I think most experts are just saying, no, like it's it's a no-no. There are too many risks. What, what are your views on this? Look, to be honest, we agree with that. The thing is that a lot of these injuries that occur or these deaths, these fatalities that occur from, you know, particularly quad bikes and side-by-sides, they're preventable. 
the type of machinery is not matched to a child. So they don't have the physical stature to operate it, to maneuver it. And if that were to roll on them, it's going to crush them to death. So I think we're saying like, is the risk worth it? It just isn't. Like, it's just not worth it. You know, there's too many risks involved with these types of machinery. So yeah, like a 16 or above for quad bikes and for side-by-sides. And even then it's still dangerous and there's still, you know, things that we need to consider with our teens when they're in types of machines. And I think in regards to answering your question around tractors and farm machinery, it is really hard. And I'm not going to lie, my children have been in the tractor with their dad out on the farm, but we have some pretty hard no's when it comes to kids going in there. And that is whenever they're going on uneven surfaces, they just don't go. So the only time they go in the tractor is when they're going on a flat ground in the paddock that we know has no potholes, no rocks, no uneven surfaces. In saying that, I'm still sitting on the edge here and I know that all of the experts are saying that that shouldn't occur, that kids should just be a hard no, don't go in there. I have two stories here that I want to tell too that will change my mind about my children participating in these activities on the farm potentially in the future. One is a recent family member who was driving their their tractor and it rolled. So it just hit uneven surfaces. They had been on this surface thousands and thousands of times before. It rolled. He was thrown from the tractor. He survived, but the the tractor was completely ridden off. And then the other one was a recent story that I heard, and this was a really, really near miss where a child was standing in the tractor against the door, weren't moving. They were stationary and leaned and the door wasn't properly shut and they fell backwards out of that cabin onto the ground. Luckily, it was on grass and it wasn't on a harder surface. And had that tractor been moving when that had happened, that would be a completely different story. So I think just from those two recent stories, I think we have to make decisions, don't we? We have to decide whether that risk is worth it. And we're not going to tell people what they should be doing with their own families. We can tell you the stories. We can tell you what we've seen. We can tell you what the risks are. But in the end, you have to make those decisions yourselves. It's so interesting with tractors. So my kids have been in the tractor with their their dad. and, And, you know, I won't lie about that either. And I really didn't even know about the risks about tractors. Like I I couldn't see it. And this is coming from me who is completely neurotic, like in just even a household situation. Now that my kids are a bit older, it's less overwhelming for me. But, you know, like I think about all these things. So like the quad bike is a big no for me. I don't want my kids on the quad bike. But the tractor, I never really saw that as a risk. You know, there's contained, the dad's right there, there's a little seat, It was only when I I started hearing about it or reading about it that I thought, oh, wow, yeah, actually. Do do you find that a lot that sometimes people just, you just don't even see the risk there? I think like what you're explaining is probably the experience of a lot of rural mums. And I had someone say to me not even that long ago, they said, you know, I don't know anybody who has died from that. So therefore it hasn't even been on my radar. So I think that's what it comes down to. Like it's not within your, your experience it's not something that you've heard about. So therefore, like it's not on your radar to prevent it. So I think this is why it's really important 
that we have discussions like this. And the other thing I was going to mention here is that children at this age, and I'm going to say especially boys because boys are more likely to injure themselves across the board than girls, but there is a lot of children who are engaging in motorbike riding at this age. And my children have a a motorbike that they go on with their dad at the moment. And one day they will want to ride solely on their own on an age-appropriate vehicle. Children can sustain burns from vehicles. I think we sometimes forget that vehicles like motorbikes can get incredibly hot exhausts, the sides of motorbikes, the sides of machinery get incredibly hot. And we have seen severe burns from children being in contact with that machinery or that vehicle. So wearing appropriate protective gear when you are engaging in those activities is really, really important as well. There is a lot of stuff around So making sure that the machine has passed all of its safety checks. And I was just talking to Sarah last night, actually, about a coroner's case that I was reading from up in Queensland, actually, around a child that was given a machine that was bought off the side of the road and they were age nine and they were driving this machine on their property wearing a helmet. But unfortunately, because it's a coroner's case, this child passed away following sustaining injuries from this machine then falling into a ditch. And what they found when they looked at it was, you know, like it hadn't passed any safety recommendations, been regularly serviced. They didn't know anything about the machine. There was issues around the brake. It looked like someone had DIY'd part of it. So I think really, as you're sort of saying, like some of these things are part of childhood experience, but some of these things are, you know, risks that are worth taking, but we take we want to take them in a safe way. And while on the topic of motorbikes, I'd like to bring in Gemma Kramer. So her son Cooper was riding a dirt bike, like so many of our kids do, when he sustained a nasty injury. So here's Gemma, who lives in Nil. Yeah, I was from Melbourne and went out there for three months for work and now married and two kids and now at home. <laughs> yep. And what was the work? Why did you go out there in the first place? I'm a paramedic with Ambulance Victoria. So I went out there for three months to come and, and um, yeah, stayed out there. I love being a rural paramedic. So my husband has a local tyre business. So he does agricultural tyres, so truck and tractor tyres. But our friends are all farmers. And where Cooper's accident was, was on one of our friends' farms. Yeah, tell me about Cooper and what he was doing that day. How old was he at the time? So he was seven. It was just before his eighth birthday. He was out with his dad. I was actually having a nice lunch with some girlfriends and I got sent a photo of his ankle and my husband said, "Uh, what do you think we should do about this? And I took one look at it and kind of know with sort of my work experience, I thought, oh dear, we're going to be having a trip down to the Royal Children's Hospital. So he was riding his little motorbike as we'd done lots of times before and apparently he's got his foot stuck up between the tyre and the motorbike and the friction from the wheel has gone through his blundstone boot, his sock and all of his skin because he didn't have proper motorbike boots on. I thought the Blundstone would be enough for a seven-year-old, but it wasn't. He's very lucky he didn't severely break his leg or, or do more damage than than the skin. It's a sort of accident you just don't really think of. You kind of think about, you know, falling, falling off the bike, going too fast, but you just don't think of that one. No, I had the gloves for him. I have 
the chest plate just in case because he's a very cautious, timid kid. So we got him the little motorbike. So it was he's not into football. It's too rough for him. So it was something that he could go do with his little friends, keep up with them. And, yeah, I thought the Bonstones would be enough, but they weren't. So what happened after after that? You got the call. You knew it was serious. What yeah. happened? When I met him at home and he was having his shower and he's scrubbing his little uncle because it was black and it was a mixture of the rubber embedded in his skin but also that it had burnt. And I said, mate, doesn't that hurt? And he goes, no, mum, I can't feel it at all. And I thought, ah, oh, now I know we're in big trouble because he'd gone through all of the nerve endings. Cooper ended up needing to travel to Melbourne for surgery for a skin graft. So after the surgery, he's in a cast for I think it was a month and we had to go down to the Royal Children's for six weeks, weekly, for dressing changes and physio and checks, recasting. And it's a five-hour drive for us to get down to the Royal Children's each direction. He's still having treatment now, so we monthly for 12 months and we have to massage it every night with moisturiser and then a silicon dressing on top of it and a pressure garment that he has to wear for 23 hours a day. And they said that the treatment will be up to two years and then he'll need to keep going back to the Royal Children's till he's fully grown, so periodically for to check and make sure that the graft is growing with him. Wow. So that's a long time ahead of, of watching this this injury, in fact. Yes. I had, even with the injuries I've seen, I'm usually, I just get them to the hospital or I get them on the helicopter or the plane. I had no idea what was involved. You know, it's not even a serious, serious injury. You know, it's definitely not life-threatening and it's not limb-threatening, but just how much it takes for such a small thing and just a little five-minute incident. How's it going now with it all, with the treatment? Is he, you know, back up to his normal self? Yeah, he's good. He's just gets into his routine, putting his cream on in summer. So he's now really good. His mum wears my wrap, so he puts it over instead of putting sun cream on every half an hour. So, yeah, good thing with kids, they're pretty resilient and take it in his stride. What about you after it all had happened? What were your reflections or feelings about it? Yep, it was him going through the initial treatments um, was pretty horrific. He did not go well with those at all. That was something I don't wish on anybody. And now, you know, I've always been a bit cautious because I see people at their worst and my husband's the opposite being a country fellow and he's no no she'll be right she'll be right but sometimes now I just actually really put my foot down and go look sorry but we are going to put that piece of safety equipment on yeah fair enough I was a journalist for a long time and so I have high anxiety about things because you know report about bad things all the time my husband's a farmer is really kind of like it's all fine and yeah, it can be tough to put your foot down though sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yep. And now I'm not there all the time either. And he keeps saying, you know, you've got to let him go and you can't. I'm like, yeah, and I do. But some things you can actually prevent the injuries of because I've been through a couple of pretty nasty burns with work and pouring accelerants onto 
fires to get them started. And I'm very, very wary of that now. It is hard finding that balance. And I say to my husband, we are opposites. We're yin and yangs and I'm the extra cautious and he's the extra laid back. And it is, it's, and I say to him, you know, it's us working together and meeting in the middle because otherwise, yeah, I think either of us would be a bit too extreme. I completely relate to Gemma here. I'm the same, probably on the too cautious side and my husband the opposite. I suspect it's like this for a lot of rural mums. So I asked Grace Larson about it. Like when I first became a mum, like, you know, with our background in intensive care, it overwhelmed me a little bit, you know, knowing all the ways that kids can get hurt or injured or sick, you know. I think like it was a bit of a learning experience for me to try and balance that out. You know, kids need to take risks. They do need the freedom to explore and learn and develop. Like all of those things are really important for their growth and fine motor skills, you know, for their emotional and social well-being. There is a little bit of keeping myself in check, you know, around that. I suppose it comes back to that question, like, is it worth the risk? Like, is this risk for their their development worth the physical risk to their body? And so I think at the end of the day, like I just try and weigh that up. And you know what? Sometimes it's a conversation I have with my husband too, who is also, you know, although he's an ED nurse, he's a little bit more blasé about things than me. So sometimes he'll be like, you know what? You are being a little bit neurotic here. And so I do appreciate that. And sometimes I bounce off Sarah too. We will sometimes say things to each other. And so I suppose it's good to be able to talk things over with other people sometimes and not have to wear it all yourself as mothers we often do. So, yeah. I think too, just to add to that, I think that for me, I am, have moments where I have flashbacks of children that I have cared for in the intensive care unit. And I think, well, that's a non-negotiable for me. Some some things on my farms are non-negotiables that other people are quite happy to let their children do, regardless of what prevention strategies I put in place. However, I think for me, Education is a huge thing. So my husband is not in healthcare. So it has been a big learning process for him to educate him and empower him with the knowledge and the skills to be able to care for the kids if something was to happen, but also the children. So both Grace and I are very, very big on making sure that our children are given appropriate education that is developmentally appropriate for their age. So I know my seven-year-old is very capable of telling his younger siblings not to do something or even directing them away from a dangerous situation. And I would never rely on him to solely be in control of that situation, but having him knowledgeable in certain areas is really helpful for me too as a mother because it's that extra pair of little eyes seeing things that I may have missed. And Sarah says, as your kids get older, you can also get them involved in that risk assessment thinking. So that 12 to 14-year-old age group is a perfect time to really start instilling some safety messages that they can comprehend. And that's where that triage of safety that we talked about in that first episode can really come into play with them. So not just you thinking about it, but getting them to think about when they want to be involved in a farming activity, get them to think through those three things. So planning, what could happen? What is the worst thing that could happen if we do this? What are some of the risks associated with it? So pinpoint those, plan what you're going to do to prevent those risks from occurring. And then if it does happen, getting them to think through, all right, so if you do get, you know, jammed in the the cattle yards, like where's your escape route? What are you going to do? And if something was to happen to either 
you or to someone else involved in that farming activity, how are we going to get help to us really quick? So do they know how to use the radio? Do they have a mobile phone and do you have reception? How are you going to get help to you in a really, really timely manner? Sarah's example just then of the cattle yards is a good one to mention because farm animals are certainly another risk for this age group. So kids and animals are not a great mix when they're in an enclosed space. So when we're in sheds or when we're in yards, children inside those enclosed spaces often don't have an escape route that's quite easy. So thinking about if they are going to be involved in those activities, where is their closest escape route? And we had this situation recently where we were vaccinating our sheep and we had the children involved, but we had them in a section where there was only a couple of our little lambs and that was safe. However, if the fences moved and we all of a sudden had 10 sheep in with them, so we had to quickly get them out, but we'd had an escape route for them to get out quite quickly. So I think it's about having those conversations before you. Engaging that activity is really important. Obviously, some of the animal injuries that we see happen out of the blue. We see things like children going behind horses or behind cattle and being kicked from behind. Instilling those messages from a very, very early age that we never go behind an animal, we always keep eye contact with animals is really, really important. And that we always have adult supervision there too. So we shouldn't be letting our kids go out and engaging with livestock on their own. Um, Yes, my children go out into the paddock and round up sheep, but they're a long way from the sheep. They certainly don't go up close to them without an adult present. And obviously, if they've been trampled or kicked in the head, then there's that's a pretty big red flag. So that mechanism of injury is already pretty obvious. But if they've just fallen, say, from the side of a cattle yard and, and you're not sure, knowing what those red flags are really, really important. So the red flags for head injuries that we need to seek help immediately. If your child has fallen from a height greater than a meter, if they lose consciousness, or if they seem really unwell or they've had two vomits with that head injury, you need to get to medical help really, really quickly. Whether that's calling triple zero or like Grace said, if it's quicker for you to get to hospital and you have a responsible adult in the back, then doing that safely. And that's it for this episode of Ducks on the Pond. A special thank you to Gemma Kramer for joining us in episode two on our summer mini series. Our third and final episode comes out next week where we'll be focusing on our older teens, so 15 and above. We'll look at ways to have effective conversations about risk with this age group. And we also discuss the statistics because they're not good and they're not really going down in terms of fatalities on farm. But Sarah and Grace discuss some really promising indicators. This series is a collaboration with Peds Education. Thank you for listening. And a reminder, you can follow us on Ducks on the Pond on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kirsten Diprose. I'll catch you next week. 